Hi, everyone, and welcome back for real to RPG R&D. It has been over a month, but I am happy to be back. My name is Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games, and I am here. We didn't have any host switches, so you know who it is. It's Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. Um, yeah, you're still tolerating me, so I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Craig Campbell. I am the owner of Nerdbreaker Games, and I also make tabletop role-playing games. Again, we sound like um, we're having uh, you know, like a, a group support meeting, but that's yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> and we would like to welcome a new person to our uh, RPG designer support meeting. Spencer, hello. Welcome. <laughs> hello. Uh, it's always nice to meet a fellow Campbell. Uh, I'm... <laughs> I'm Spencer Campbell. Uh, I uh, people might know me under the name Gila RPGs. That's the RPG, I don't know, company if you want to say that I I sort of uh, run under. I'm an RPG designer out of Chicago. Folks might know me for things like Slayers or the Lumen System or Rune or things like that. Or the one that I want to be known for is Corvid Court, my game about birds that do crime. Uh, and yeah, that's that's who I am. And thank you for coming onto the podcast. I, uh, as another Chicagoan here, I will take this opportunity to say, if you hear, dear listeners, any any um, attack jet noises, it's literally like attack planes. It's fighter planes. It's the air and water show here in Chicago, and I'm right here by Lake Michigan. Um, so there might be some background noise. I'm sorry. Uh, but we, I also have to say we're sorry for having this long break, but uh, there was a lot going on. In the summertime, like Gen Con, the topic du jour. So, um, we we had to we had we were very busy as game designers because we were also both showcase all three of us showcasing our work at this huge convention. So let let's talk about it. Let's do a little Gen Con recap. How's that sound? Sure, sure. Um, so this was my first Gen Con, both as somebody like attending it and as an exhibitor at the same time. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, so, I mean, I should have gone to Gen Con before this. Living in Chicago, it is not very far away. Um, but every year that I would have gone in the last, I don't know, five or so years has either been a pandemic or uh, we've been traveling. My wife and I are both teachers and so we have summer break together. And so we oftentimes are traveling during the same time as Gen Con. So I've just, it, the stars have never aligned. I've never gone to this thing that I've heard about so much. So this was my first time both being present at the location and uh, happened to do it as an exhibitor with my own booth as well. It was a wild experience. There's a lot of people there. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out when they say it's the big one, it it's the big one. <laughs> Um, it was really, it was very fun. I mean, as an exhibitor, I was essentially glued to my booth like the whole time. And I don't know what the experience was like for you all, but it was just me and my best friend, Mike, who's also sort of a design partner on a lot of stuff that I do. And so we were just at that booth the whole time. Uh, so my experience was like being around the people in the exhibitor hall, which is really cool and meeting people and selling games and stuff like that. But like all the other stuff that you're supposed to be able to do at Gen Con, I didn't really do because at the end of the day, 6 p.m. would hit and I would be exhausted. Like Mike and I would just find food to sustain ourselves. And then usually we would hang out with some folks at the like the end of the night, there would be something going on. And so that was actually some of the most fun was just sort of the informal get togethers with fellow um, 
RPG nerds and things like that. But it was a really, really cool experience and exhausting experience. And I really can't wait to go back and hopefully get to do a little bit more than just being at a booth the whole time. Yeah, I, I can't imagine being an exhibitor and also an attendee for the very first time. That seems like it would be incredibly stressful. What what <laughs> um what were you selling? Like what was the big product this year for you? Our two biggest products this year were Hunt, which just released like this was the first sort of public appearance for it. And Hunt is a game that I we just released that is about a doomed knightly order going off into a cursed forest for one last hunt to try and save themselves. It is designed as a one shot game and Mike pretty much nailed the cover art. That's the reason it sells so much is like not the, the cover looks so good. Uh, and people come and want to look at that. And then the other big seller was Rune, because it's a solo RPG that's inspired by Souls-like games. And it turns out people like Souls-like games, and they like playing games by themselves. Uh, <laughs> and so those two were like easily our top two. And then number three was Slayers, because we oftentimes had people come to the booth and say, hey, we run, it's usually the GM, hey, I run 5e. And I don't want to run by me anymore, but how can I convince my players to try something else? And Slayers is my monster hunting game. So it's it's the one that I say, hey, this will this will be a familiar vibe for your players, but it'll be mechanically a wildly different experience for them. I, I do like your your thematic nature of one word titles here. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got Hunt, Rune, Slayers, but then you have Corvid Court, which you want more attention <laughs> on. Maybe you should have you should have thought about shorting that, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Corvid Court was my That's a great name. Don't give that me was... no, I love that name. That was the second game I ever wrote, like as a designer. And I wrote it in like this 48 hour fever dream like experience. <laughs> like it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, May, and I'm just like well, I guess I'm going to start doing more of this. And I wrote a game about birds doing crime. And then it wasn't until I, like, years later got into my rhythm of, oh, no, wait, all my games are one word, all capitalized, ideally four letters if I can get it to four letters. And that's <laughs> sort of my that's sort of my thing now. <laughs> and I'm trapped. Well, you, you, you put yourself in a hole. Yeah. I mean, I have done the same thing with my games now. Like, my published games are all about fighting megacorps who are ruining your lives, so... <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's good you to have a thing. You could always hyphenate Corvid Court or 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 just make it a compound word. <laughs> That's true. You know, I the almost, English language is just, malleable. I almost just tried to make it a portmanteau and just said, well, just call it court, like Corvid and court. And I was like, wait, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> that hold on. That's already in there. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Gen Con is huge. Um, I, I've been going to Gen Con since uh, 2009. Uh, it's been a long time. Um, my first ever Gen Con, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I've talked about it here on the show before, um, but I went there with a bunch of high school friends and it was huge and I wandered around and I didn't really do anything other than just wandering around the exhibitors hall for three whole days. It was really fun. Um, but I got into like running, like helping out at booths and running games and that's what I've been doing since then. I love GMing games at Gen Con, um, and I need to actually cut back on that next year because I need time to do other things such as eat and <laughs> talk to people. And I was also helping at the IGDN booth. I'm the president of the IGDN of the Indie Game Developer Network, and it was very busy for us. We were making a sale every four minutes, so it was like a lot. And it's not like it was four minutes spread out 
No, no, there were rushes, of course. Um, sure. But it really felt like a felt like Gen Con, uh, like the Gen Con I I know, um, because of how crowded it was, which has its pros and cons. Um, but I know last year felt like a little empty, felt like a little. Mm, I was only there for the weekend, but it was uh, very very sparse. This this one was lines out the door to go for will call still and it took me 30 minutes to walk from the exhibitors exhibitors hall to the game room when i'm trying to run my games and i had a plan out for that it was um it was really fun but we did a it was a pretty good showing i i enjoyed i enjoyed it and the new food truck area like the new um (laughs) they used to have that right in front of the convention hall and it was like fine it was like a couple rows of food trucks but now they have like all this space and places to sit, actually sit down and eat like a human being. Um, and then, of course, my favorite, as always, is Steak and Shake. And I, I will always go there for a Steak and Shake. It's so fast and easy. And this is now an advertisement for Steak and Shake. <laughs> steak and Shake, if you would like to sponsor the podcast, well, you, you can would, contact you us. <laughs> I am a huge fan of the touch screen that they have. Like, you don't even have to, like, talk to anybody to order your food. Oh, it sign makes me it up. It so fast. It makes it so fast now. <laughs> and it's, like, the fastest place to get food at Gen Con. It was amazing. Anyway, they also had, sorry, I'm a Michigander, as you know, <laughs> they had Superman ice cream. They had Superman ice cream. No one knows what Superman ice cream is except for me and everyone else from Michigan. And, and like, listen, take heart, Michiganders. They had Superman ice cream in Gen Con. It's spreading. <laughs> what is Superman ice cream? Oh, let me tell you what Superman ice cream. <laughs> Look, this is way off topic. This has nothing to do about games. Um, Superman ice cream is a tricolor ice cream. It is an ice cream flavor for children, but children at heart like me so it is i'm gonna tell you the two flavors that you will be familiar with and then the flavor you won't be familiar with it's a cherry flavor it's like a lemon or vanilla some people do lemon some people do vanilla it's hard kind of hard to tell because all the flavors kind of combine so it's blue yellow and then blue moon flavored blue moon is a blue flavored ice cream i you know what blue tastes like. Everyone knows what blue tastes like. Um, so it's it's <laughs> blue, yellow, and red, the Superman colors, and it's all mixed together. And it's something about those flavors mixed together that makes it th- its own flavor. It's a very, oh, it's so good. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> and it uh, is the light and star of my life. <laughs> Craig, how was your Gen Con? <laughs> good. Um, I don't have an ice cream to share, um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I was in in some ways in the same boat as Spencer, in some ways very different. I've gone to Gen Con many times. Um, I think my, my first Gen Con was sometime in the 90s. I'm not sure which one. When it was still in Milwaukee, I was going to college in Milwaukee. So it was very easy to go to Gen Con um, and easy to just do like a day or two if you wanted to. Like mm-hmm. you didn't have to dedicate the whole weekend necessarily. But I went a bunch. And then after it moved to Indy, I I went down from Milwaukee to Indy a few times. And I now live in Atlanta. And I've gone up from Atlanta several times. Um, and I'm kind of now in the position of going every year. And I kind of, you know, I've, I've done a lot of what Gen Con has to offer. I've, I've walked the hall many times. I've, you know, played a lot of games. I've gone and seen like different weird demos and like the weird stuff that's going on. Like you go and see, like, you just never know what you're going to find. And, and and every year it changes. And I've gone by Card Hala and checked that out and, and donated and, and just, you know, all the stuff that happens there. But now I'm, you know, this year I had uh, my own booth for Nerd Burger Games as well. And um, after having had product in the, 
IGDN booth on a you know multiple for, for multiple Gen Con. Um, it was a heck of an experience because it was simultaneously very exciting and also very nerve wracking because I'm finding myself thinking, okay, this is it. Like I don't have IGDN support sitting right next to me. I don't have like my friends who are like right nearby. Um, and I didn't have to, you know, like actually, I just had to pitch games and talk about stuff like last year when I had a table at the IGDN. So like you folks, um, Jess and other people like took the sales and everything. So, but like this year I was like, well, I got to make sure I have somebody in the booth with me at all times so that we, somebody could take a break if they need to. And we got to, um, and I brought, you know, I brought eight, it works out to eight and a half team members plus myself. (laughs) Um, I had a couple of people actually, I, well, call it a full nine now that I think about it, because I had a person volunteer to help with some booth stuff when I was short a person. Um, but I had, you know, three three different people that helped at the booth. I had, you know, half dozen plus people who ran games um, and like had this kind of pretty serious presence for Nerdburger Games um, and uh, did did very well. Like, you know, like the, the booth did better than last year. Um, we had really good turnover just you recall i had those cards that i gave out to people um who played the games and i had those last year and i only cashed a few of those in people would come by and i think you know when you took sales you would get the little card it's like five dollars off a purchase of a certain size if they played in the game um and i only had a few of those like maybe a half dozen um i had like um i didn't i didn't actually keep count i should have but you know easily two dozen maybe approaching 30 maybe approaching 30 like sales that were definitely directly made from game events which um which was very cool um if for no other reason than you know granted there's a discount that's handy for the for the person so they'll they'll use it it's encouragement but it's also like like okay this is like people are giving gms are giving good game experiences people are excited about the games they're coming to the booth like immediately after or later the day or next day or whatever um and it's encouraging to see all that sort of thing happen i also had it Friday was the big day. I don't know if you all felt was. Friday was the big day um, for, for actual activity at the booth and just general sales and just, you know, general busyness. Um, I think a lot of booths saw Friday as the big day. Um, and I had a, re- for, for me, at least a ridiculous amount of ego boosting that happened over the course of the convention where people were coming to the booth. I bought something from you last year. I came here to get another game or to get the, to, or to get the supplement, you know, like you told, you said, stop on by on the discord. Here I am. I'm so-and-so on the discord. Um, you know, just like that sort of thing um, of like people who were like actually seeking out the game, seeking out Nerdburger games, seeking out the booth, um, which was really like, let me tell you to all the fans. And I think I can, I can speak on behalf of my panel of three here and all other RPG designers and publishers out there that that kind of stuff sustains us um, when we are in the <laughs> when we are in the trenches for weeks on end, just like writing a thing or laying out a book or whatever we're doing where there sometimes you feel like you're just slogging through like and like oh, nobody's going to love this as much as I do. <laughs> I, I sure hope people like it. You don't know. Like start to doubt yourself, imposter syndrome sets in. And then you have an experience like that where it's like, oh, look, 
look, there are people who really dig this. So thank you all <laughs> for, thank you all for everybody who stopped by and thank you all to everybody who had those kind of kind words to say. It, it really does help make it easier when you hit those weird bumps as, as a designer or publisher, when you're just like, well, I just got to get this thing done. Nobody's cheering me on to do it. I just got to do it. <laughs> I like the idea of game designers as like energy vampires, but only for positive praise for themselves. Like that's <laughs> that's what feeds me and keeps me young. Tell me that I'm good. <laughs> Spencer, did you have anybody run games? Did you run any? I didn't, um, which is something that I talked to um, Matthew Gravelin about. Matthew and I, um, Matthew is an RPG designer, also created Tapestry, which is a really cool storytelling game with these cool overlapping cards. Um, Matthew was in charge of sort of coordinating and running the events for the Possum Creek folks. So running things like Wander Home and things like that. Um, And Matthew was talking to me about his experience and the team's experience doing all of that. And it sounded fantastic. It sounded like a really cool thing. And again, I think it's just kind of gets chalked up to this being my first Gen Con, like not really knowing what to do other than to get product to the place and have it set up. Yeah, uh, there's not like a lot of knowledge. And honestly, I'll be honest, Gen Con doesn't teach you what no. to do nearly as much as packs we did packs in december and those folks were on the ball about telling us everything that we could do to get ready and everything like that gen con admittedly is a bigger con or it's the you know it's the big one i felt like mike and i were just trying to figure out how to do this all on our own and through talking with other people so truly it was just like okay we got to get there we 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 need to bring these products there and then that's our that's our all we got to do is make sure that we're there with the books. Um, so I hadn't really thought about doing anything like events or running games or anything like that. Um, I want to uh, in the future. I would like to, you know, if we go back next year, I would like to run events and things like that. Because from what Matthew was saying and what what Craig just mentioned and for a few other folks that I've talked to, it seems like it's a really cool opportunity just to have other people experience your games um out in the the wild so to speak and so i'm definitely interested in doing something like that this year again we were just trying to like (laughs) figure out how to like make sure that we could like sell the games that we brought that's one of the things i'm really thankful for the iddn um like i'm never gonna well never who knows but it's not tenable within the near future for me to have my own booth at gen con there's i don't have money to put forward on anything so what i can do is be a member of my org and have my stuff there on display and i feel like it's like this huge advertisement right you have your books at at a convention people are walking by and they're seeing it so there's one aspect there like people getting attention if you have your own booth i can imagine it's even more so because there's your name right there um and then when you run games it is like often it does end up being a conversion for sales people just see it they talk about it they want to bring the game home um i've done giveaways at the table like okay this is my book that i used at the game i've cracked it open and everything who wants it like who gets it like all those things can contribute to like creating a positive feeling around your game and like it's it's a much better it's a much better advertisement than just like here's the pitch here's what this game is about um and then for having the igdn itself like i have never had to until this year worry about logistics i've never had to worry about how is my game going to get here 
who's going to be staffing the booth, who's going to be running my games. That's pretty much all taken care of for me. Uh, as a like when I have my games for sale at the IGDM booth, um, I don't have to worry about any of that. I don't have to worry about Square not working. That's their problem. <laughs> this year was a little different because I was, you know, I'm the president now and I feel like, oh, if something goes wrong, it's my fault now. So even if it's not, um, but I kind of coming in and, and seeing because my husband's our convention coordinator for this year. So I got to see. I got to see like firsthand how much work goes into getting all these products to to the convention center from our little storage area to the convention center, the staging area, the setting up the booth, the tearing the booth down, the getting out. Like all of these things are like they, you don't get an email about that. You kind of have to ask around. You have to like ask. So how does this work? Uh, how do you know how this works? Even events themselves, like, can be really super confusing at Gen Con. Like, how do you get them? Like, like, who, it's we had some issues and like, I don't know, doing it on your own, especially as for the first time, the two of you. Like, kudos to you. Um, I don't want to have a panic attack. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'm like I said, I'm really thankful that I have like this the the group. So how the IGDN works, like. And and Craig, you remember, like you mentioned, like you've you've seen it before, like you just say, like, I want my book there, and then poof, it's there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um so yeah, it's I, I I feel like I've also gotten a lot of sides from the IGDN experience. I feel like or from the Gen Con experience. Um I've I've run games, I've played games, I've wandered the exhibitors hall, I've I've done all sorts of things. Um and uh and and it's uh it's it's much more stressful as an exhibitor it's much more stressful than just a casual even a booth staff it's it's a whole nother level um do we want to talk about some costs because that was what we were talking about uh that's on our our schedule today is to talk about the the true costs mm -hmm. of attending gen con um, sure. I know we've, we've, we've mentioned this from like an exhibitor's point of view do we want to start with what it's like as an attendee so we've all been attend. Well, Craig and I have been attendees and not exhibitors <laughs> before. Spencer, maybe you don't know so much. <laughs> maybe this is going to be a short part of the podcast. We'll, the, we'll the, get to the we'll yeah. get to the designer, publisher, exhibitor side of this, this, yeah. this equation as well. I'm sure. Gen Con can be a really expensive convention to attend um, as an attendee because you have to buy a badge. Like that's a normal kind of cost, right? But there's also a time component. You have to take time off. If you don't, if you're not like me and you don't get every weekend off and you don't get summers off because you chose the best profession in the world, teaching, you <laughs> have to take time off to go to Gen Con. So that might mean dipping into your vacation funds or like your vacation pay if you have that, if you have that here in the United States. Um, and it also means taking time to wait in the really long will call line if you didn't get your badge shipped to you. And those can all be kind of like, they're cutting into a lot of your budget for time and for and for money already and you don't even have your badge yet so uh it can already it's it's like this huge cost right off of, up up the front you have to buy a hotel you have to just get your way down there um for me when i would just like the first time i went i was splitting a hotel room and i feel like a lot of people have this experience i split a hotel room with four or five other people just so we could get there and have and have a hotel we split a car like 
all of these things just so we can make it more affordable for us as teenagers going for the first time. And it was a really big financial commitment for me just to spend $50 on a badge at that time. How much is a badge now? So it was like 50 <laughs> when I first went. 120 something? Jeez, okay. Um, that's yeah. a guess. That's a guess. I think it's over 100 for a four-day badge now. I don't remember exactly how much I spent. I think I paid 50. It's, I don't know it's, if it's someone covered the of rest that. of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's that's just right out the gate. I can see why that would like pe- people would be like, no, thank you. If you run games though, if you run enough games, Gen Con will comp your badge, mm-hmm. which is why I started doing that. Um, I was going to play games anyway. I might as well run them. It's the same thing for me. So I, what was the like cost like for you as an attendee, Craig, back in Milwaukee? <laughs> well, when I was in Milwaukee in the convention in Milwaukee, the cost was next to nothing because um, it was the badge and my bus pass. And I could literally eat breakfast in the morning, eat dinner, you know, at home, eat dinner at home in the, in the evening, snack, you know, take some snacks during the day. I didn't have to eat a meal, didn't have to pay for a meal anywhere. Like that was super cheap. So people in Indianapolis, congratulations. Lucky <laughs> you, you have the, you have the cheapest Gen Con experience. Um, but when you're traveling, you know, like, like Jess was talking about, it's the cost of getting there. There's the cost of where you're staying. There's a cost of the badge itself and then feeding yourself and, and, Otherwise, take otherwise taking care of yourself, whatever that all entails. Um, and I, I also kind of you you touched on like the time, like whenever it comes to like when you when you do anything, there's there's three potential costs involved, um, and that's money, time, and effort. And you can reduce one by increasing the others. Oftentimes, um, <clears throat> so like you want to save a little money on uh, your accommodations. Well, you're going to spend a bunch of time and effort looking for the cheapest thing, um, but you can save the money to do it. So if you or have the time, time and effort to do it, driving further because it's cheaper, further, further right, away, further away, and, and like giving up some of your time at the convention to traveling back and forth because you're staying out by the airport rather than downtown. Um, so like there's there's little things like that to to kind of keep in mind as just as an attendee in general. Um, for people in the U.S., um, we all sort of know this. Um, but for international attendees, if you come, you probably see it talked about on the internet because it probably is anathema to how your country functions. But the U.S. is a tipping society, which means that your wait staff is expecting and requires in order to live tips um, on, you know, your 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 waiter, waitress, wait staff person. That's that's an unexpected cost that you may not be thinking about if you're not from here. Um, Same thing with hotel housekeeping. Tipping, tipping hotel housekeeping, tipping um, Uber or Lyft drivers, rideshare cabs, whatever, however you're getting around. Um, if you want to take advantage of the of the uh, the public transportation, you can drop your cost by getting a bus pass or paying, you know, for bus trips. But you're also, again, like we're talking about, you're spending more time because the bus is going to take longer to get there. Especially and, you in don't, and there's not necessarily a tip kind of thing involved there, but there's just things like that to keep in mind. Um, there's um, the one, one thing that I know people run up against all the time. There's, there's plenty of people who are like, okay, well, this is my, this is my expenditure while I'm at the convention budget. Like I've covered all the big things that I need to cover and this is how much I can just spend out of pocket. Right. Um, and then they see like late on Saturday or on Sunday, like a little thing is like, I can spend 10 bucks on that. I can spend 15 bucks on that. There's the incidental like impulse purchase 
want because you're at a convention and it's exciting and you're surrounded by all this geek and game stuff. And like, I can spend 20 bucks on that. And now you've done that five times and suddenly you've spent $75 that you weren't planning to spend. So thinking about like your budget realistically and be like, am I a person, you know, yourself, you know who you are, right? Am I a person who succumbs to that? Who likes to be like, Ooh, I never knew this thing existed and it's $10 and I must have it. Um, like to plan for that sort of thing and be kind of cog- cognizant of the cost there. The convention is designed to make you want to have all those incidental mm-hmm. random purchases. Like it is like a casino. You are in a space with no windows. You are around a lot <laughs> no of people clocks. who are also spelled. <laughs> yeah, no clocks. You might not even have cell phone signal uh, to <laughs> to check yourself, <laughs> to check your bank bank account um and there are all these other people who are throwing money around and buying all this cool stuff and then people are yelling at you and there's bright shiny colors and there's noises like your inhibitions are maybe lowered because you're tired or maybe like (laughs) whatever it is like they're the convention is designed to get you to spend money and i would love that for you to spend money at my booth please do buy my 15 dollars game i'm not gonna tell you no um so you gotta be a little careful (laughs) i i am a (laughs) if i walk by that tea booth the one that sells all the tea, uh, it's over for me. If I even like see it, if I'm done. I'm not going there planning to buy tea, but I'm going to. Uh, Spencer, did you have like incidental? Um, <laughs> did you have attendee costs? I'm curious. Did you have any cost as like a regular old person there? I think my, I mean, my cost is like a, it is an attendee or just everything that I bought in the exhibit hall. Because everything else I would associate as costs just for being, but the cost for exhibitor oftentimes has a lot of overlap with what you're saying. So hotel, transportation, food, and all of that. Um, But yes, certainly I would, uh, even though I spent most of my time at my booth, I did get brief periods of time where I could wander. I was very targeted when I wandered the exhibit hall. We didn't, because again, it was just Mike and I, it wasn't, and the hall is huge and everybody moves very slowly through it. So you're kind of just stuck looking at every booth that you walk down. Um, I We had to be very intentional about where we were going when we were like, okay, I have to go check out this booth to go buy this one thing. Um, the, the, the biggest sort of, impulse purchase or or the 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 biggest culprit for it was i was like just a few booths down from indie press revolution and they have of course just a massive selection of amazing rpgs and every time i would walk by their booth to go back to my booth i would go hmm maybe i'll buy myself a little (laughs) treat uh and 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 write it off as research Uh, And so I definitely dropped some cash at Indie Press just because they were literally right there. And it was very hard to walk by without going, oh, that's right. I I have a PDF of this, but I would really love a physical copy. Uh, So (laughs) I did that. And then, I mean, pretty much I spent only money on RPGs. I didn't buy any board games or anything like that um, just because... Uh, that's just where I'm at right now with the sort of games that I prioritize and play. Uh, and so I just bought a whole bunch of indie RPGs, either from booths of of people that I knew that were there or or indie press who just had me because they were like, they three, were there three booths down <laughs> and there was nothing I could do to stop myself. I always end up spending more than I'm planning. I'm terrible at budgeting. So um, but I bought the games I actually wanted to buy at origins this year so that kind of saved me um not that i didn't save that money i still spent that money but 
just spent it at a different convention instead. Um, I'm a sucker for pins. Like when I walked by the Possum Creek booth, I saw the pins and I was like, well, I guess I'll just. And then I was like, oh, they're, they're, <laughs> it's cheaper if you get two. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I'd be a fool like, not to. <laughs> I'd be wasting money. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I got some of those. Mm-hmm. I had a pretty tight budget this year. Um, and like, yeah, I just, I have to really be careful. I didn't really wander around the exhibitors hall though. I, it was like walking into a t- like a wave pool at a water park. Like you're just like bouncing off. It was too much for me i don't know what was going on in the central vortex i think there was like some critical role thing i don't know what it was oh was, i can tell you the story about that there was something going on and i could not <laughs> make it past the eye of the storm so i just was like well I'll, I'll just go hang out in the rat hole at the igdm booth and call it good we have a rat hole at the igdm booth it's like between the curtain <laughs> and the wall and that's where people go to eat their food and to get away from people just hide in the in the spider hole yeah it's great <laughs> We very intentionally designed our booth to not have the tables up along the aisle so that it was like a pocket for people to get out of the aisles and into our space. So we designed it so it was sort of like a little library or game, like a bookstore, so that people who were in those hallways who were cramped and not able to get out could be like, oh, let me get myself a a moment of respite. And oh, look at these nice little books. And then they would start flipping through things. And so um, that was... Heavily inspired by Amber, who designed the Cloud Curio and Mapcro booth that was at Origins. And we reached out to Amber and we're like, hey, your booth was amazing. Can, you, can, can we have your specs? And they were more than happy to send it. So, uh, yeah, because that the the hallways, the when we did try to get anywhere, it was just like, you're not you're not moving. You're not you're not getting to where you want to go. So what was what was the central vortex? Craig, you said you have <laughs> well, an inside scoop. I don't know what was how it functioned throughout the day, but I know what happened at the beginning of each day. Um, I was in Entrepreneur Avenue, which is the name they give to the place where like all the first timers end up, um, or at least, you know, it's, it, it is only first timers. There are potentially other first timers out in the other parts of the hall, but, um, and you get like a couple hundred bucks off your booth, but you end up in kind of this area. Um, and that's in the corner of the hall. And on Thursday morning, um, a line started forming that went from further up in the hall, right down the middle of my aisle that my booth faced onto. And I found out that it was um, a line forming up of people buying Darrington Press's new release, the Critical Role people. They have a, I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it was basically, it's like a, it's like a deck building card game. It's like comes in a good size box. Um, if I remember correctly. And um so we had this big pile of people that came down and they were standing two and three abreast and it like jammed up the aisle. It made it look like the aisle was impassable, which it was. And it kind of choked traffic um, for people coming into the aisle. And I was like, hmm, this is no good. Um, 20 minutes in, Darren Compress came back and said, you know what? We had no idea we would have this kind of a line here. So I just did a count coming back here from based on what stock we have in the booth right now, because we also have to stock everything else. And this game takes up a little bit of space. Um, People this far back in the line, there's not going to be a copy left for you right now. We will restock at lunchtime and you can come back this afternoon and buy it. So that whole thing dissipated 20 minutes in Um, to Darrington Press's um, credit. The next day, 
the wrangler that came back and kind of watched the line and acted as the like I am the end of the line person, right? To let people know where the end of the line was, came through and made sure that everybody stood single file down the middle of the aisle. So you could walk by and hit all the booths on either side and you could you know pass through the line and everything. And they did that every day afterwards. So they they adjusted to um, an unexpected situation and made uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning when the line formed up, um, like not a problem at all. And then I turned those people into sales because I would start addressing people and say, hello, captive audience. And everybody would laugh. And then I would pitch games at them while they were standing there. And I made sales that way. And then this group of eight people would move down the line and I would say, hello, new captive audience. And that was my shtick for a half an hour every morning for three days. That's amazing. Like I, (laughs) I knew that there was something happening on Thursday. It was too much i i honestly i was a little afraid um because i had finished setting up the booth like just making sure everything looked nice blah blah blah. it was like 20 minutes 30 minutes until i had to run my game because for some reason i decided it would be fun to run a game at 10 a.m on thursday um <laughs> while well, also never being one again. of the chief organizers of a 40 foot long booth i'm never doing that again um <laughs> that was the worst mistake in my life also running a game the night after the Diana Jones divorce was so huge mistake. Um, but uh I was trying to get back from the exhibitors hall to the ITGN game room. It was like, really far away and everything was so tightly packed and everyone was moving the opposite direction that I wanted to go. And there were a couple moments I was like, if there if somebody spooks somebody in this crowd, we're all dead. Like this is a crowd crush situation. It was that much but like knowing that there was like some critical role thing happening and then there was like the disney game too i guess was like super popular like knowing that people were like champing at the bit to get in there right as the doors open so they could actually purchase a game makes a little bit more sense to me now um the, lo- <laughs> the lower con line thing is in like it blows my mind because that's, I... that's the wild story of this year's gen con learning that people would line up at 6 p.m the day before they intended to buy Lorcana stuff. So if you wanted to be part of the Friday pickup, you would get it, the line started at 6 p.m. on Thursday. So you would wait, what is that, like 18 or 20 hours or something like that in line if you really wanted to be like the first one in to guarantee that you would get Lorcana stuff? Plus there was like a whole bunch of like... To pretty- clarify, to clarify oh. for listeners who were not there and who have not heard about this, this was to buy a starter pack of the Disney's Lorcana game, one copy, because then they punched your badge with a with a, a unique hole punch shape, and you couldn't buy another one at Gen Con because they wanted to make sure that everybody got a chance to get one. And this happens with big releases when they have when they don't expect to have you know a massive stock. So it was literally standing in line for for sixteen hours to buy one thing, and you can't buy two. I can't imagine like that's that's so wild. wild but it came but it came with a gen con exclusive mickey mouse card that wouldn't that will supposedly never be printed again so for the people who are completists and for the people who wanted to like basically i saw the stories people who paid for their entire gen con by getting in that line getting that one thing putting it on ebay selling it for fifteen hundred dollars and their gen con is covered what for a Mickey Mouse card. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. As an indie game designer. Like, oh, come on. Do we need to be giving the mouse more money? Do we need to give the mouse 
more money. No, no, we don't. the mouse, we the mouse only it. got the, the 10 bucks that you spent on the deck. It was the there was the the person who couldn't attend Gen Con who is obsessed with Mickey Mouse who paid fifteen hundred dollars to a person who stood in line for sixteen hours. That's the thing that like you know there's the, 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 things cost no, what the no, market will it. bear. No, <laughs> like, I understand. Like if I was younger and was really like money was super tight, I might yes. do it. I just the, the I might just hang out with friends all night. The lives other people card have games with their game on the floor game budgets. <laughs> I wish I had fifteen hundred dollars to spend on a single card. I'd have the best Yu-Gi-Oh deck in all the land. <laughs> um, so oh, I had something to say, but that just like brain flooded me. Oh my gosh! Oh oh, I was gonna say this. Like so you're telling me that the the two people who stole $300,000 worth of cards could have just picked up a couple of these starter packs. Just like 10, 10 of these Mickey cards that have covered that whole they thing. They could have hung around one <laughs> evening and played magic games against each other on the floor of the convention center and yeah, we made 3000 bucks. Um, we kept sharing the picture of the, the heisters, um, which, but like... Yeah, there was a heist at Gen Con. There was a heist at Gen Con. Straight up heist so awesome. for people who are not aware. There was a heist. Like I obviously you're you're stealing from another like yeah, I get like that's don't do that but it is really cool to do a heist but we kept sharing <laughs> we kept sharing the image of one of the guys because he kind of looked like Alex like dressed similarly <laughs> and was wearing a messenger bag and I was like Alex what were you doing when I wasn't here on Wednesday <laughs> just um he looked at it his defense was his defense against that being him was I would never wear Nike shoes. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the cost of being ex- an exhibitor. We've sure. we've been um we've been rambling a lot. This we're off our <laughs> game, Craig. We're not on topic. No, today. no, Jess. This is totally our game. This okay. is totally what our podcast <laughs> is like. That's true. <laughs> we Spencer. do we do ten minute sidetracks on things. It happens. Spencer, I'm curious. <laughs> what was the cost of being an, an exhibitor that was surprising to you? Um, a cost that was surprising uh i mean none of it was particularly surprising because this isn't our first convention that we've exhibited at so we exhibited at origins and we did it we did pax u at the end of 2022 so like we were aware that you're gonna pay an an enormous amount of money for a booth space um thankfully because we are in chicago we can drive all of our material there so we we just packed my car with all of our stuff and we were cramped in the car there we were less cramped on the way back because we sold books which was nice but like we didn't have to ship and like have our stuff stored at the warehouse or anything like that you know we're a small enough operation that we could pack the car full of books drive it there and then set up and take down was actually relatively simple for us because again we were a small thing we didn't we don't go through the marshalling yard which is what like everybody else does we literally just take it from the hotel parking lot in like three runs because our hotel was right across the street from the convention center so we just had a little wagon and we just moved our stuff back and forth between the car um which helped expedite the process um but i mean there's there are lots of costs there's the obviously the cost of the booth is quite expensive um, and then you have to get hotel accommodation. There's the whole process by which you can get like hotels through the exhibitor hotel booking portal thing and everything like that. And I heard 
um, mixed stories on how successful oh that was with people. Oh, we we had some bad. We had a bad time. Logan Dean, who's another fellow Chicago game designer, was like he was telling me like he got like the worst like lottery number or something like that, where like he got the dregs of whatever was left over. Um, and then other people obviously had no problem and got got their you know booked their rooms easy peasy. And so uh, it it certainly varied in terms of if you went through the official exhibitor booking process for hotels, whether or not that was a smooth experience for you. Um, we we got lucky and managed to get a room at the Hyatt, which is the one that's kind of close to the hotel. Um, but the, the the thing that was a huge pain, and I don't know if other people experienced this, was the convention starts on Thursday. Um, but you get there before Thursday because you have to set up your booth. We got there on Wednesday. So you need at least a hotel starting on Wednesday. But the exhibitor booking thing would not let us book a room at this hotel on Wednesday night. It would only start Thursday as if we were like an attendee, even though we were going wow. through the exhibitor book. So like we were only able to book Thursday through Sunday. And then we had to find another place for the one night. Now we got lucky and eventually like a spot opened up at that hotel for Wednesday. So we booked that night separately and had the whole, both reservations merged. But for some reason it was like, so yeah, it's a Thursday to Sunday event. So that's when you'll check in. But we were like, no, we're exhibitors. We have to get here at least on Wednesday to set up. I wonder how companies like Paizo, for example, that has that gigantic booth that starts setting up on Monday with eight people working on it or six people or whatever they send. How is it the same deal there? They have to literally book all these people into rooms for three nights. That's my get, understanding. Like, two, two hotel rooms with double beds. Three. Oh, wow. That I. So I'm. With, I'm really glad I went the route I went. I didn't. That happened. The <laughs> that happened with us because um, we also like we can't arrive going from Chicago to Indy is several hours of a drive. Um, if we have to rent a car or take a Alex took a bus down on like Tuesday, um, just so we could save money, we we took the train back. Um, and I rode down with somebody else the next day, um, because we also have a dog, and having a dog means you also have to hire a dog sitter, which is another cost of of being in attendance. Um, so he, he came down on Tuesday and then I came down on Wednesday. Um, and we had another person coming in from Canada who's also coming in on Wednesday and was working with IGDN. Um, and we had booked the rooms. We were lucky enough that the rooms were the same regardless. Like we didn't have to change rooms or anything, but when we got to, we, we got to this hotel, which shall remain unnamed, although I could just name them. You, you can find it on my socials probably um <laughs> they told our canadian friend that they did not have a room for him on wednesday because his booking didn't start until thursday now we know that this was not true we know this is not true for two reasons number one we booked them at the same time as the rest of the rooms so we know it was wednesday through uh checkout monday we knew this and we also know that it was untrue because then they refunded the card a whole day stay they lied straight to our face saying that they didn't they just did not have the room like i don't know if they overbooked i don't know what happened but multiple hotels did that there were many many stories of people being like oh you don't have a room 
and finding out a week before the convention because the convention overbooks because there are going to be cancellations, just like airplanes where they overbook busy flights with the expe expectation that there will be a certain percentage of cancellations. And then you have a flight or a hotel where the percentage is lower for cancellations. And suddenly they've got like, oh, there's seven people booked for this night that we don't have a room for. Well, they, with, they had also charged I hear the those card. stories every year. It's yeah, it's. It, I mean, I don't like I don't know if it wasn't like on the company card. Like, I don't know what would have happened. Luckily, we also had a place for him to stay because he just ended up staying in our room because we had other people that were already there and had the correct hotel booking because it's what we had booked. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to be mad at the hotel staff because it's not their decisions. Like the people who are checking you in and out, like be nice to them and everything. But I will be mad at Mr. Springhill. So <laughs> I will be mad at them. <laughs> anyway so the ho the hotel is like the, i feel like it's one of the most expensive uh, like things about being an exhibitor or an attendee it was like a thousand dollars to like stay all that time plus like again if i had to take time off of work i can't i wouldn't be able to afford that i already had to spend all this money on a dog sitter like mm. there's a lot going in and then you're out of town and you have to like Unless you're like Craig, who has a kitchen in in the place that they're renting, like, and you can cook breakfast every morning and and dinner at night, like, you gotta you gotta go out and buy dinner, like, or get a bunch of do girl dinner, and you're just eating chips and crackers and apples, <laughs> which, I mean, I I can I I see why that would be very appealing, but it's like a vacation, and then you're also working for eight hours a day. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks, and I love it. it sucks, and I love it. Um, so there's definitely yeah, they, yeah something to keep in mind, everybody. If you're even not as an exhibitor, if you're you know hotel room for a big convention like this that really books their, their hotels to the gills, not saying you will run into a bump like this, but be prepared for the potential additional expense and the potential potential additional time and effort that you're going to put into fixing if something like this should happen, like it's a contingent, any big trip, like really you should kind of have a contingency plan. Like you might suddenly find yourself missing a connection or you might suddenly find yourself not having something booked the way it's supposed to be. Um, and you kind of, you got to kind of be prepared. In addition to all of that, there's stuff like parking. Like if you're driving down and then they gouge you for parking um, at like anywhere downtown Indy, it's a lot. Um, we have to rent a U-Haul. Luckily it's just to get like from the U-Haul from the storage unit to the convention center it's more expensive for us to go to origins in that way um plus like we pay booth staff if you are paying your booth staff like there's another cost if you're paying your gms there's another cost there and then there's like all of your squares there's your square fees like there's the taxes there's a lot that goes into it and you can't just like you have to really do a lot of accounting to make sure that you're not um you're not um over overdoing it with your budget um and, and then and, and then you're tempted to go out for evening nights <laughs> with other game designers and spend a hundred dollars on drinks which you will regret the next morning because you have a game at nine in the morning or that's just me yeah <laughs> there's something to keep in mind like I, I discovered now that i'm kind of handling i'm having to handle the like big conventions and sales tax situations in different states and whatnot where before I had all this stuff going through the IGDN, it's like, oh, the IGDN just magically takes care of all that. And then I get my payout. Um, uh, I've discovered um, the the United States has, uh, it's it says it's one country, but it's really 50 countries in a trench coat. Um, 
Every state runs a little differently. Every state handles sales tax for convention or trade show sales differently, and most of them don't clearly define it. Uh, the only upside is that Indianapolis does specifically define it as you owe it. You are here for one day. You make one sale at one trade show in Indianapolis. You owe us sales tax on that one sale. Um, they they are very specific. Other states, not so much. Um, but yeah, so that becomes a, an expense that you know, some, you, you have to kind of keep in mind too. And it's, and, and it becomes the time, like you got to, there's a form to fill out beforehand and then a little thing to go do afterwards to pay. And, um, another exhibitor expense, and I don't know whether you all paid it or not, but a thing to consider is, um, if your booth needs power or if you want power at your booth or internet, um, that's another thing that the convention is a service that they offer is internet and or electricity if you need it. And some booths I know have like a whole display and everything and they need power. Um, we're, we're all mostly analog at our booth. Thankfully, it's just paper. So uh, we didn't need any electricity. And we ended up just using the convention Wi-Fi uh, for our devices to run all of our sales and everything. We didn't pay for any kind of wi-fi or like privileged exhibitor wi-fi we tried using just our data on our phones and that was a disaster because it turns out when you get tens of thousands of people in one spot the day and but the wi-fi stood up for us for the most part but um if you are if you do know that you're going to need internet um I'm having a flashback to PAX where um, <laughs> Tony Vicinda had like a plus one EXP had a whole streaming platform set up. So like had for internet and uh, electricity for that. I'm not saying every exhibitor booth needs that, but just keep that in mind as, a, as another thing that you might suddenly realize like, oh, we have no power and we needed it to like charge our point of sale system or something like that. Um, bring bring portable chargers. Get a whole bunch of portable chargers and and use those instead. And bring bring cash for change. Mm. Don't forget to go to the bank before the convention starts, so you have cash for change. Um, and don't be afraid to tell the person that wants to pay with the hundred dollar bill at the you know in the first hour on Thursday that they'll have to come back later, which I have had to do at conventions. Sorry, I don't have I can't change a hundred right now. Come back tomorrow. There will still be books. I can't do it right now. <laughs> they might they might just want to be there to get that $100 broken. Don't let them do that. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I literally did not can. have enough money. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have either. Um, um, but when it, like, when it comes on, all down to it, though, like all the costs that you're putting into going to a convention like this, like whether it's just like you're paying your $100 like so you can be a member of the IGDN and send your stuff there and they're going to take care of it for you. Like, Ooh, very minimal cost. Or you have your own booth and you're buying the booth and you're paying your booth staff and you're taking time off work and all of like blah, 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 blah. Like this really expensive convention. Like when it comes down to it, it is advertisement for your game. And if you wouldn't blink an eye at spending that amount of money on ads on like, I don't know, Facebook or whatever. Um, it's it's so much more worth it to have your game there in front of people for people to see it for you to be able to talk about it for you to be able to network with other game designers for you to be able to convert those advertisement sales right away to an actual sale there's nothing that beats a beats an in-person convention in that way it's for a lot of people this is like the day where you're going to be spelling selling unless it's your kickstarter it's the day that you're going to be selling the most you're going to be making the most money um, and 
that's why it's uh i it's it's pretty critical and i i hope that uh i hope that some of these bigger companies like uh disney moving in um don't sap out a lot of the the indie space energy because we need the uh, need that space more than them yeah one thing that's also like a sort of a, a hidden cost or thing to keep in mind with these conventions is like where your booth is located and whether or not you have control over that um, has a major impact on your experience as well. To give you points of example, one, we were at PAX in December and that was great because PAX, I think pretty intentionally put a lot of the indie RPG people together. Um, so we were very close to friends, which was great. So we could be like, oh, you're looking for this sort of thing? walk three booths down and go talk to Tyler Crumrine, who's going to have an awesome map making game for you. Uh, and then we went to Origins and they literally scattered us across the entire hall. Now, I know there is like a whole drafting process by which you like get on a Zoom call and pick a space, but that happens while I'm teaching. And so, or have work when I think a lot of people, like it was Friday at 1 p.m., which is like a time a lot of people are busy. Um, and so you have to just sort of send in numbers that you would take without any information about who might be around you. And so Origins was terrible for us. We will not be going back to Origins for sure um, for a whole host of different reasons. One of them being the indie RPG people were scattered around the hall. And I see some people might make an argument. That's good. Then people will see indie stuff all over. But there's something I don't see in the RPG booths as competition. I see us as each other's cheerleaders. Like we, I agree. We help each other. Um, and there's just something like the energy vampire thing. Like I, I absorb the energy of being around other indie people. And when I have to walk 20 minutes to see another indie person and they're on the other side of a hall and they're also having a terrible time because nobody is getting like indie RPG vibes from the convention um, it's a pretty rough experience. And so that's just another thing to kind of keep in mind is like, if you are considering going to a convention, be it Gen Con or something like that, think about how much agency you have over where your booth is and who you're around, because that will absolutely have an experience, uh, an impact on your experience, not only in terms of sales, but also in terms of like your mental health, because Origins was agony for us. Gen Con was bliss. Uh, by comparison, I I often think of it as at a big convention like this, the big companies are destinations, the indie companies are surprises, they are discoveries. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to help people discover with like what Spencer is saying is like if like I was in the entrepreneur avenue thing, which is like all new people, like brand new stuff, and like there were I I kind of became familiar with like everything that was going on there because people I'd hear people talking about something and then be like, hey, there's somebody that doesn't art. You know, you like this artwork here. There's another person in the artwork doing artwork in the the next one over, or there's somebody over here that's doing like an o, uh, o, OGL style game, um, because I heard people talking about it. I just kind of pointed, um, and you know, I think it would be it would behoove people to be able to say, like Spencer saying, like you know, just go to this booth here or that booth here. And I knew a few like the IGDN booth, but I was in the corner. I was like, oh, you want more indie games? Go to the other side of the hall, nearly as far away from me as you can possibly be. Because that's where the IGDN is in a primo spot in that first aisle. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? The, the 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 upside to Gen Con is that just because of how it gets laid out, if you ever look at the map, 
all the the bigger booths are toward the front and the little 10 by 10s are mostly mostly toward the back um so you end up with a lot of the indie people that are all kind of right next to each other just by the nature of how it's laid out um and i think pax kind of does that too they, they, there's a lot of if you look at their maps there's always like a cluster of 10 by 10s and it's like you can be like oh those are almost entirely indies mm-hmm. um like or they might be first timers or only their second or third year or that helps i don't know what what origins layout looks like but <laughs> um yeah so that's yep. that <laughs> well the jets are flying over um <laughs> and they are making a lot of noise i'm muting myself i don't know if you can hear it um well it's not right now but they're doing loopy loops over my apartment and that is my <laughs> signal that we should wrap up this episode actually my signal that we should wrap up this episode is that it's been over an hour of us talking <laughs> only half an hour of it on topic but welcome back to rpg rpg that is what we do i guess what craig said was right um spencer do you have any final words? Any final thoughts? Uh, just that the you know we had a great time doing it. We had a lot of fun. Um, we you know Mike and I certainly intend on going back to Origins in the future. Um, Gen Con, I, right? Not Origins. Yeah, oh yeah, dear Lord, we're not going to Origins <laughs> ever, ever, ever again. Uh, but we will be going back to Gen Con. Um, for folks who are listening to this and, you know, it's 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 a lot and it sounds like a lot. And there is a couple of pieces of advice is to just reach out and talk to people who have been to these things, ask them for advice. People in the indie scene are pretty much always willing to help one another. Um, but there's also plenty of opportunities to get your stuff involved as like as as sort of an exhibitor without necessarily having your own booth. There are plenty of like IGDN who if you become a member, you can get your stuff there or if you sell your stuff with IPR. They have stuff there too. So if you you're just interested, also in... oh, just have your games, sorry, you could also just have like your games being run for you. Like you don't even have to have a sales presence. Yeah. So there are so many ways to just be, have your stuff at the convention as a designer um, without having to go all in on a booth and stuff like that. So that's just another thing for you to kind of keep in mind as you listen to all of this and think like, Oh, it sounds like a lot. I don't think I want to do all that yet. You have like you don't have to dive straight in. There are there are lots of cool ways to to get involved, and it's just important to keep all these sort of hidden costs in mind as you decide what's the best route for you at the sort of the scale that you're at and and everything like that. Spencer, what do you have to plug, and where can we find you? Oh, uh plug i literally just wrapped up a kickstarter so that's done um so right now uh you can find me online uh, everywhere online i'm uh gila rpgs g-i-l-a rpgs that's on every all the billion social media platforms that exist now <laughs> now uh and whichever one still exists by the time you listen to this um, I also have like a Twitch channel where I do a lot of my design streams. I just do stream of consciousness design, uh, which I find to be very helpful for me. But I think some people find it helpful in terms of learning what the design process is like. Um, and then in terms of pitching uh, or kind of promoting anything, we have uh, an upcoming supplement for Hunt that is getting sort of final layout right now. It's called Pox. It's a whole bunch of new knights and weapons and a new premise for your, if you want more sad doomed knights uh, and you want a new sort of premise to it, Pox is coming out soon. I don't have a hard date for that, but just kind of keep an eye out for that. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Campbell's Unite. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about the fact that you guys have the same last name. 
you can find me on the socials as well at at Joska J W S K A. Um, I haven't tried to snap up the handle wherever it can be found because someone already stole it from me on Instagram, and I'm still mad about it. I have nothing to plug right now, but you can find my games at wannabegames.com or on Drive Through RPG or Itch under the same name. I will be having a Kickstarter announcement soon, ish. But stay <laughs> tuned for that one. Uh, yeah. And uh, you can find my stuff at um, I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter and uh, at Dice Camp on Mastodon. Um, the website is nerdburgergames.com. Uh, games are all available at DriveThruRPG. Uh, I have a Kickstarter for Capers Cyberpunk that is going to be launching on Tuesday, September 12th. Um, and Jess actually just provided feedback on my Kickstarter page, which I'm going to go look at as soon as we stop talking here. Um, so that's coming. That's kind of the book and, uh, you know, the, the, the other end of the century of this, of, of Cape of the Capers universe. So keep an eye out for that. Um, all sorts of interesting things planned with, with that. Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avel by Steph Sachs, licensed under creative commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs. And thank all of you for listening. We'll see you back here next time, next week, this time. Bye. Bye. Bye.